This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. I am stirred by this this message and this concept that we're about to unpack. Uh, the Ludi family has been going through uh, Matthew uh, this past week, and uh, it's there are certain things that you'll definitely recognize. You'll notice a lot of Matthew passages uh, in this, and there are certain things in Matthew that are almost too practical and too straightforward that they sort of bounce off you because, you know, you've been in the church for so long that, yeah, you've heard that and you've heard that and you've heard that, that you stop hearing it uh, anymore. And you don't take it as seriously as the Word of God would uh, need to be taken uh, to truly change and alter our lives. And first of all, I love the picture on this. You know, if you're just hearing this through the sermon podcast, you're missing the, the title slide. Isn't that a cool picture? I want to be that guy in that field uh, talking to God. Uh, but this one's called Life in Secret. That'll make sense as we progress because it's somewhat of a play on words. And that is there's something that the Bible describes as the secret place. And it says it far more than you realize it says it. It is sort of a common concept that is brought out in the scripture. And there's also something known as life. And I'm going to say there's a lowercase l life that many of us hold on to, and we're like, I have to make the most out of this. And then there's a capital L life that truly is what you're really after, but you don't know that. And so oftentimes you miss the capital L life because you cling to your lowercase l life and won't let it go. But when you combine this idea of the secret place and you are willing to forgo that lowercase life and enter into this secret place, you find life. So it's a life in secret, which also plays into the message because so much of the Christian life is actually required to be done without applause. It's to be done when no one's looking. And so it's a life in secret. So I'm going to call it the itch. And it's strange why we have this and we try and get rid of it. It's like, why does it matter? But we have an itch to be seen, to be appreciated, to be applauded, to be respected, to be honored, to be remembered. I mean, people will donate large amounts of money to just have their name on a building, to have a plaque, uh, to, to say this part of the road was donated by such and such and such. It's like we want to be seen as valuable, as a contributor. We want our life to, be, to matter and to be remembered when we depart. And that plays into this issue of what I'm going to call the lowercase l life. There is a bait in front of us to go after this carrot. And it's sort of moving around and it's, and it's scampering down the road. And we're like, I need to catch that carrot. What is that carrot? Well, it's hard to define what it is. I'm going to call it lowercase l life. It's like if I could just have the fullness of this life, I could really get a good bite out of that carrot, then I would be satisfied. And yet anyone who has ever caught the carrot would tell you that it just sort of dissolves like sawdust in your mouth. 
it actually is a false version of something you were designed for. And as a result, you pursue it and you find that it's empty in the end. And I, I was telling the kids this week, I think it was even in the same context, about Tim Allen, who was the voice for Buzz Lightyear. Uh, at one point in time, he had the number one book on the New York, best time, New York Times bestseller list. He had the number one movie in Hollywood. I don't know if it was the Santa Claus. And then he had the number one TV show uh, on television. He had reached the pinnacle of success, and it was sawdust in his mouth. It was like despair, because he recognized there was, it was hollow. Everything he'd always wanted, and then where else can you go? What, what other you know, mountain can you climb? He had achieved the epitome of what every actor would desire, and yet it was sawdust. And there is something in that that is very, very important for us to recognize. This itch, if not scratched by the divine finger, <laughs> is going to actually mislead us, and we are going to find sawdust in our mouth as well. So I, my kids were teaching me a word, uh, or a, I don't know what, the, an acronym uh, this week, and it's FOMO. I guess it's called the fear of missing out. I, I don't know if I'm the only one that didn't know about FOMO. I didn't grow up with the idea of FOMO being an acronym, but you know now I have it. Okay, now you have it too, so you could whip it out too. Yeah, I have a little FOMO today. Uh, but it's interesting because when I hear that, everyone who is sort of extroverted knows what this is like, the fear of missing out. When you hear a little buzz in the other room, like at Ellerslie, if you're a student, you're trying to focus on your your study of the word and your time in prayer and you hear like someone laugh out there and they're like doing something and you feel like move and someone jumps out there. You know, you're just like, I need, need to participate. There's a fear of missing out. So that's FOMO. I'm going to make up my own little acronym because I, obviously people are making up an acronyms these days, right? So mine is FOBO, fear of being overlooked. It's the same sort of foundation, right? The fear of missing out, the fear of being overlooked. Does your life even matter? Like in the grand scheme of things, when all plays out, are you even going to be remembered in this whole thing? Did you accomplish anything? You see, this is that itch, and it caters to this, and it's a very genuine fear in our life. We want to have a sense of purpose here. We want to be significant. So we grab a hold of the lowercase li and cling and we try and, you know, like we're holding a grapefruit, try and drain it of everything in it. It's like, I can get more out of this. And Jesus comes to us and says, I need you to let go of that I, that L. Did I say I, lowercase I? Did I say that? Lowercase L. Sorry, guys. Boy, I could really confuse everyone. It's a lowercase L, life. And Jesus says, let go of that. Well, Jesus, if I let go of that, then I won't have it. And this is where my satisfaction is. He goes, you know what? If you want satisfaction, if you want life, you need to release it from your grip so that you can take that same grip and grab a hold of true life. So Matthew 16, 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, that's not a new scripture that's never been read in this room, okay? I've read that many, many, many times. In fact, I could start breaking down the Greek on this. I, I know a lot about that statement. And yet, what I want to do is just sort of amplify this idea of life in secret today, which is a certain angle that the context of this is going to play out in. So you notice in the title here, life, I have it as lowercase because I'm trying to establish this idea of lowercase l life. 
We all have it, but if you cling to it, you're going to find that sawdust in the mouth is the end. In fact, it could get a lot worse than that. I could describe hell and the fires of hell too that are the end. It is empty and it's hot in the end. There is no satisfaction truly gained through it, no significance actually gained. You could be remembered in this earth, but what if the earth is destroyed and burned up? That doesn't help you either, does it? If you really think this through, it is empty. Even if you're remembered for a blip of time, in the long run, it is hollow, it is empty. So fame, fortune, power. We all have different elements of this, this desire to be known, fame, to be recognized where you're walking down the street and someone says, hey, I know that guy. Why we care about things like that, I have no idea. Again, it's that itch. Fortune, wealth, money. Some of us are more than happy to not have the fame, but as long as we have the wealth. So there's different ones. We're all sort of wired a little differently and then power where you actually have an authority, a voice, a weight to your words. And when you say something is supposed to happen, it happens. You have a propulsion in your life that affects those around you. And we're all attracted in a strange way to different ones of those. Sometimes it's a medley of all three. And yet this is what God is saying. He's putting his finger on it saying, are you willing to give that up? Right there. What are you holding on to? Because it's not that being known or having money or actually having influence are bad things. It's when that becomes the purpose of your existence. When you aim towards the lowercase l, it will end in disaster. But when you let go of that, God is not against you being known. Jesus was known. I mean, come on. Having resource and money is not actually the enemy. It's when the love of it controls you. And it's not influence and authority that is the problem. Jesus is the king of all kings and lord of all lords. So they're not evil in themselves. It's that there's a counterfeit version that is baiting our soul. So here's our Matthew 16, 25, and I'm going to say adapted. So in the parenthetical uh, little portions, you're going to see me replacing uh, life with fame, fortune, and power. So for whoever desires to pursue his own fame, fortune, and power will lose it. But whoever gives up his own fame, fortune, and power for my sake will find it. Isn't that a strange thing? It doesn't say give it up. It says we'll find it. You're going to find something. You're actually going to find significance. You're going to find influence. You're going to find technically, the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. By the way, if you want to talk about a fortune, that's a pretty good fortune. In other words, you're going to find something, but you're not going to find it if you keep going in this direction. There is something better, Eric. Hey, hey, Eric, are you ready to let go of that to really get what you're designed for? Capital L, life. My definition of what that is, it's a person. Isn't that strange? It's Jesus. Jesus actually is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so as a result, when we give up all that is the counterfeit savior for us, oh, if I just was well-known, then I would be satisfied. If I just had wealth, then I would be saved. If I just had a position of influence, then. And Jesus says, that's not gonna save you. That's not gonna satisfy you. That's not gonna make you significant. Let go of that. Well, what will make me significant? You give your life to me. You see, 
True significance is found in being a child of God, a believer in Christ Jesus, grafted in to the champion. This is actually where we find life, capital L. Romans 8.2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. One of the ways that we could look at this is when I give my life to Jesus, I find true satisfaction. And it sets me free from this old pattern of living, which actually leaves me under condemnation. There is no satisfaction in it. It is sawdust in the mouth. I have been set free by that life in Christ Jesus. The instinct to self-preserve. We are wired as humans to think about ourselves. And it seems rather normal uh, and totally appropriate to think about yourself. I mean, if you don't think about you, well, then who is? And so if you don't think about what you drink, what you uh, eat, and what you wear, well, then you're not going to look too good on planet Earth, and you're not going to last very long. Someone needs to be thinking about that. And so it's interesting because God knows how he created us, and he knows that we are wired towards self-interest and self-preservation and self-importance. And so he wants to set us free from that unto a pattern that actually works for us. So he describes that pattern in a way that most of us, we, we all know the scripture I'm about to read, but it's hard for us to actually grasp how it works functionally. Matthew 6, 30 through 33. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So, technically, according to the scriptural pattern that Jesus is laying out here, He's like, if you hold on to the lowercase l and you try and make these things happen, that's what everyone, that's what the Gentiles do. Those that don't know me, that's how they function. But when you know me and you give these things up and you first seek the capital L, it's like, this is my priority, then I will personally take care of what you drink, what you eat, and what you wear. I will super govern your life if you trust your life to me. You cling to the capital L life. You forsake and willingly give up your lowercase l and all the controls that you have over there. But, but God, we need to let that go. You make this your priority. I'll take care of you. You see, we want to be taken care of. We want someone to notice us. We want someone to value us. And he's like, I got that covered if you'll allow me that role. We're sort of scared to give him that role because what's he going to do to our life? I, I used to think about that quite often when I pondered the idea of giving my future marriage to God. It's like, could you imagine what could happen if I said, God, I'm willing to give up the right to be married to you. I mean, if you're young, you can follow my logic on this. If you're married, you know, then you're always looking at all these young people that are struggling with these things going, come on, guys, just trust God. However, when you're young, you can look around the church and there's some funny looking people in church. 
And he could match me with one of them, right? And say, well, Eric, you know, because, you know, I'm in charge of this now, I'm going to match you with that person. You're like, no, no, no. But of course, that's God's best, right? Because he's the one in control now. And so what we have to trust is that when we let go of the lowercase l, that he actually knows us, that he knows how we work, that he knows how to best satisfy us too. Do we believe that he knows our taste buds better than we do? Do we believe that he has better plans for us than we do? Do we believe that he can go exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, or do we believe that our plans are better? When we are willing to relinquish the lowercase l life, we discover a satisfaction that is superior. We discover everything in a more superior version because it's a God version and it's what we were designed for. Seeking first the kingdom. Now, I'm going to give a different phraseology for that, and I'm going to call it turning to the secret place. Because when we say seek first the kingdom, that doesn't always make practical sense to us, okay? So I would like to sort of put a synonym in our idea or in our mindset today and say seeking that secret place. Of course, you don't know what the secret place is yet either, but I think it could actually give a little more of a grip to our souls. The place of truest life, I'm going to call it the secret place. 1 Samuel 19.2. So I'm going to just go through uh, some scriptures in the Old Testament and then in the New on the secret place. So we have in 1 Samuel 19.2, it says, So Jonathan told David, saying, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Uh-oh. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. So this idea of a secret place here is the same term David is going to use over and over again in the Psalms to describe the place of protection in God. That when he, in his faith, trusts God, God becomes a refuge. He becomes a shelter. He becomes a hiding place. He becomes the secret place. So the secret place of God is a place of preservation. It's interesting. What is David being preserved from? You see, Saul is significant of the first. So you could look at that as the flesh, even in our life. There is a part of our life that desires to combat and quell the spiritual pursuits that we have. But when we enter into that secret place, which I'll continue to define, we actually have a preservation from that first life. And we can thrive in the life of the Holy Spirit instead of the flesh controlling us. Psalm 27.5 in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Listen to Psalm 31:20. Sounds very similar. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Psalm 32, 7. You are my hiding place. That word for hiding place is the exact same as secret place. And that's why I put this here. So it could read, you are my secret place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Say law. Psalm 61.4, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Say law. That word for uh, the shelter is the secret place again. So it could read, I will trust in the secret place of your wings. Which of course matches well with Psalm 91, which is just about to come. 
Psalm 81, seven, you called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. For some reason, I just like that one. It's very poetic sounding. This is probably the most well-known of all the secret place passages other than some in the New Testament. Very, very dear to me, and I have spent a lot of my life cherishing this particular uh, statement. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So we have this place known as the secret place. And in the New Testament, you're going to see this idea continue. So what we see established in the Old Testament of a place, and it's secret, and it seems to be, in, you know, as we move into the New Testament, it seems to be in the heavenly places. There's a secret place. But how in the world could you find refuge and shelter in a heavenly place? A place that the devil can't touch. He cannot separate you from it. He is unable to reach it. How would that work? Of course, for those of you that understand how the New Testament message unfurls, you recognize that Jesus is that place. And that when you turn from your faith in man, your faith in yourself to somehow make it through this life, and you relinquish that, you repent and you believe in Jesus, you are immediately clothed in Christ and brought in to the secret place. Charitable deeds in the secret place. So you'll recognize these scriptures, but it's interesting because it's all talking about secret. Matthew 6, 1 through 4, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, now a charitable deed, that is a, a big, huge phrase that we recognize because we think of charities, but the word is love. It's agape, actually. It's, it's this very robust idea of selfless living and considering others as more valuable than yourself. So a deed that truly honors and serves others, that gives of your resource, sacrifices on behalf of others, that these are actions that God designed us for, and when you do them, you have an instinct to do them to be seen by others. Why, why would you do that? Because you have an itch. You have an itch to be applauded and appreciated, but that's not how the kingdom of heaven functions. The kingdom of heaven functions out of the secret place. And so as a result, that love is in the secret place that even motivates you to do the charitable deed. And so when you do your deed in secret, or I'm going to say it this way, in the secret place or out of the secret place, then actually something magnificent takes place. It says, I'm going to read it from the beginning. Take heed that you do not do your charitable, charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. Now, it says in secret, and that's a perfectly fine translation. However, the rest of this very chapter in Matthew 6 is going to refer to this as the secret place. Okay, so that's why I'm going to say, just imagine that it said that your charitable deed may be in the secret place. That its source, that its location is done in secret. Yes, that's a perfectly accurate statement, but it's a different source. It's not in self with the desire to strengthen your lowercase l life and your reputation and your lowercase l existence. 
but it's after something different, and it's functioning out of a secret place, which is why it does its work in secret, because it is doing it to honor something different, to lift high the name that is not your own, but is the name of Christ. That your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So just imagine if I read it with secret place instead, that your charitable deed may be in done, done in the secret place, and your Father who sees what is done in the secret place will himself reward you openly. And that's more of the concept I want you to start chewing on because that's how it's, in a sense, worded as we go through the next subsection, prayer, prayer in the secret place. Matthew 6, 6, but when, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We seem to have a pattern going, don't we? In other words, there seems to be a modeling that Jesus is beginning to acquaint everyone with that goes directly opposite the tendency of man. You see, you can see the tendency of man just by looking at the Pharisees. They want to do their charitable deeds with a trumpet blast so everyone sees them. They want to do their praying on a street corner and sound religious and sound spiritual. And Jesus says that's not how it's done. You see, they're getting their reward now. Everyone's impressed with them. That's all they get. It's sawdust. But if you really want to have an impact, if you really want to see what I can do in and through your life, you do this out of a different source. You have to let go of the lowercase l. No, forsake that. But what about my fame? What about my fortune? What about my power? You have to let it go. You have to be after someone else's fame, someone else's glory, someone else's power. You have to forsake your agenda and begin to serve Christ's agenda. And that's where you find significance. That's where you find strength. That's where you find power and influence. Fasting is the other subsection that comes out in Matthew 6. Fasting in the secret place. Now, if you're going to fast, you definitely want to get some credit for it. Have you ever had it, uh, you know, if you're, if you're, especially if you're weak and you know, you're not doing too well, it's like, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm fasting. You know, at least get, and have you ever had it where you, you know you're even tooting a trumpet, you know, even as you do, it's like, and you're letting everyone know, yes, I'm fasting. And the whole while you're like, yeah, great, I just blew that one. I just went, I just fasted for two days and then I blew it because I blew a trumpet about it. Uh, or you accidentally have someone find out about it, like, are you fasting? You're like, uh, how do I answer that? Because if I answer, am I blowing a trumpet? Have you, yeah, we've all been in these little awkward situations spiritually, not sure, because we want to do it right, but it's hard because it's difficult. When you are fasting, you are basically making a declaration of dependence on God. My strength comes from above. You're willingly choosing a physical weakness so that you can demonstrate a spiritual strength through your life. You're saying, I know that the only way this gets done is by God's power, so I am fasting to declare it's not by might, nor by human power of Eric Ludi, but by the Spirit of God. And so as a result, as you do that, it doesn't make any sense to do that to stimulate lowercase l life. Come on, what's this for? This is to showcase capital L life, the life of Christ. And yet we have that itch still. Fasting in the secret place. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Wow, this is a broken record, isn't it? Isn't it interesting when Jesus says the same thing over and over and over again, and yet all of us know these statements. That's what's interesting. I have a pretty strong confidence that we in this room know these statements. And yet the question I want to bring to the table is, what is our life in the secret place? Do we, have we been cultivating a secret life as opposed to the public life because we have a propensity and the church is no different than the world in this regard because we have a fleshly propulsion still that exists if we feed it. And that is, I want to be seen as spiritual. I want those around me to approve me in the church even. It's a tendency. I'm just going to say that. It's sort of like when we're worshiping, and if you have a good voice, you sort of want your voice to float around a little in the room and have people look around and go, who's so... That? There's a beautiful singing voice in here, and you're like, you know, with one eye open. It's like, oh, they saw me good. And it's like, well, that's not how it works. We all know that, but there's a propensity. Okay, and if you have a bad singing voice, you have a tendency to not want that voice to waft uh, anywhere, right? You're self-conscious. At the time, you're supposed to be Christ-conscious. What is this? How come we as the church could still function in such nonsense? And yet we have the itch or the propensity towards that lowercase l stuff. And Jesus says, would you let that go? I really want to foster something different. Now it's interesting because there's a tension that I'm creating here. I don't know if you're picking up on it. We're supposed to live out of the secret place, but how am I going to do anything if everything I do is secret? Okay, the church can't obviously function if all we do is secret, right? It's a good, good point that you're bringing up. But first, I want to just say it this way. All things in the secret place, not just charitable deeds, not just prayer, not just fasting, but all things. You see, this is the source point. We're going to call it the headwaters of all power and godly function. Everything we do starts in the secret place. You see, when Jesus is rescuing us, he is going to shed his blood. He is going to give up his life. He is going to be buried, and then he's going to rise again. He is then going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. When we believe in Jesus, we enter into his cross, and our old man is crucified, not because we did it, but because he did it, and we gain that, that victory over our first man or over our lowercase l life by entering in by faith to his work. When he's buried, our old life is buried. It's called the old man. is crucified and buried. When he resurrects, guess what? We are a new creature in Christ. We resurrect with Christ. And the life that we now live is actually the Christ life. It's no longer our life, but it's, it's the life of the flesh. It's the life of the spirit. And then when he ascends into the heavenlies, into the throne of grace, which I'm going to call the secret place, when he enters into the secret place, you can't see it, right? Where is he? He's in the secret place. But he carries you with him. And as it says in Ephesians 3, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ. So as a result, we are actually in the secret place in Christ. He has brought us near by his shed blood so that we could live there. And out of that place, that's the throne room of grace. That's what it's called. That's the fountainhead. That's where all the grace flows. And when we abide there and we dwell there, we have all that we need for life and godliness. 
So this secret place is the fountainhead. It is the source. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Imagine if we took throne of grace and swapped that out for secret place. We said, let us therefore come boldly to the secret place that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. You see, this is where we are supposed to go. We are supposed to go where he is. We are supposed to have communion with him. We are supposed to have that intimate bond with him. And he says, abide in me. You see, this is where we are supposed to remain. And then if we remain there in our spiritual man, then he cultivates what we call our physical man down here to interact with a lost and dying world. But we, if we are remaining in the secret place, begin to function according to the thinking patterns of that secret place, which is I'm not doing it to appease. I'm not doing it to be applauded. I'm not doing it to be liked by men. I'm doing it to love him. That's what the secret place is going to cultivate. So life in secret. Now, at Ellerslie, we've had different terms for this in the past. We had a time where we were cultivating what we called silent things. And silent things were things that as a team, as a staff, we were saying, let's make sure that our ministry in silence and in secret is even more profound than our ministry in public. Because we have a tendency, again, this is the itch, that when you have a public ministry to cultivate the public side and to market the public side instead of cultivate the secret side. But and if, if I were to say, if you, you could easily ask, it's like, what are you talking about? What's the secret side of ministry? The secret side of ministry is all the stuff you don't get applauded for. So it's the notes that you write to someone or the times when you reach out to someone when no one sees and you encourage them, and you wash their feet. It's the little notes that say, hey, I was thinking about you and praying for you right now. Is there anything I can do to serve you? No one else can see it, right? And you are risking taking that valuable time out of your life and not having it market your grand ministry. If no one sees that, well, then what's the good of it? There's a tremendous benefit in that. In fact, I'm going to say and make my argument that the things done in secret actually have more impact I, I should say like it's PSI per square inch of impact uh, is greater than anything done in public. It does not mean that things done in public don't have value. However, that which is done in secret carries with it even a greater weight. And if we could see that, we would understand the significance of living in secret and doing what we do, not just to appease an audience or to impress an audience, but to truly do it for the living God. So words of encouragement, I, I just have a short list on the screen, life in secret, words of encouragement. There is nothing wrong with honoring people publicly. In fact, I'm a big fan of it. It's, it can be very uh, encouraging and strengthening to the entire body when it's done. We do it a lot at Ellerslie. But there's another dimension that I want us to consider fostering. Imagine if throughout this next week, each day of the week, you thought of someone, just prayed and say, God, Lay someone on my heart that I can just say something special to, encourage, write an encouraging note to. I mean, you imagine if you did that every day of the week and then you did it every day of the year and you did it for 10 years, you have suddenly impacted a lot of people and every one of us in here would acknowledge that those little notes that you get that are 
unsolicited and don't come with some kind of Amway negotiation. It's like, hey, can you be in my downline after you, you know, they send it. Those things without any hooks or any, uh, any uh, you know, sticky paper or Velcro attached to them are actually one of the most precious things that we ever have in our life. Even more so, and I'm not trying to diminish a sermon right now, but even more than a sermon because it's a practical sermon. And a practical sermon has great weight in this world. Gifts of love and thoughtfulness. You see, to turn outward, when you are just thinking about yourself, you don't have time to think about gifts of love and thoughtfulness, which is why a lot of marriages, when, you, when you're in that fallen in love stage, it's a lot easier to be romantic. But when you get married, you're just, you oftentimes you're just surviving. You don't have a lot of extra energy to think of going to the store and getting a card and then writing on the card, and then grabbing some flowers, and then putting it all together, and then coming home with your nice presentation. Every one of us knows, well, that would be good. Boy, she would love that. However, to do that is like, wow, that's a big project. And yet, that whole concept right there of what is done in secret actually has more impact on the body of Christ than maybe what we could do here together. Could you imagine if every one of us as husbands we're cultivating that sort of relationship with our wife and with our kids of gifts of love and thought. Not even outside to other families, but that would strengthen the body. But what if we're doing it interchanging between families here and we take that extra measure of our time and yeah, you might not get any credit for it. In fact, you might do it anonymously. Who knows? The, the way that God works, sometimes it's like, and don't put your name on that card. I've, I've received a lot of cards here at Ellerslie without any names on it. It's sort of frustrating for me. You guys are like, what am I supposed to do with this now? All right, thank you, Lord. But I understand what's going on in the person that's doing it. They are doing it for Jesus. And it's hard not to, and I'm not saying it's bad to stick your name on it. I, I think it's beautiful when you give and your name is a part of it because it bonds you. It's part of the love expression in the body. But there are times when the Spirit of God might say, and, and, and no name. And that's, that's maybe even more beautiful, especially when it's out of obedience, Okay. Service, when you are willing to serve someone and not get any credit for it, when you're willing to serve and not even expect a, a thank you note, when you're willing to do things that uh, maybe someone doesn't even know, they're out of town, their family's out of town, and you go and do something to fix their house where, where something's broken, and then sneak out and no one knows you did it. Those types of behaviors actually have greater impact than things that are done publicly. Prayer, worship, you see, some of us only have worship in a public sector, as opposed to worship in a private sector, like in your closet, where you are worshiping Jesus. And guess what? That has so much more meaning to your king in heaven. When you are consistent in your private and in your public, and when you worship in public, he loves it all the more, I think, when he knows we're also worshiping in private. And that we're not just doing this because, oh, we're around the body of Christ, and this is what they expect. Dependence and obedience. When we're willing to be dependent, there are so many things in my life that I've walked through that other people don't know about. And it's extreme dependence. It's like, Lord, you're gonna have to carry me through this because it would be, in a sense, unloving for me to put weights on other people around me. Like, yeah, I'm really struggling with this, so pff, I'll stick that on your, your shoulders. At the same time, there's sometimes God wants to invite people in from the outside to help you carry the weight and so that they carry burdens with you. Those are all steps of obedience. So dependence and obedience, they interact. There's sometimes God says, no, this is between you and me. 
Just like when he's talking to Mary, she cherished these things in her heart. She's carrying a big load, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And yet most of it was carried internally. She couldn't really talk about it. Yeah, what's it like? Not many people could relate to what she was going through. That's her son up there. He's our savior, but that was her son. And so she's carrying things that are foreign to maybe everyone around her, and that's unique, but there's a grace for that. What she does in secret for Jesus is of great preciousness, just like it is when we do something in secret for Jesus. And we carry burdens that maybe no one else in our life understands. One of the, the first things that God had to walk Leslie and I through was that people, we had to give up the fact that people would understand what we're, what we're going through. I really wanted everyone in my life and my family to say, I get it. I know exactly what you're going through. And yet they didn't. No one had been in ministry. No one had carried weights like we were carrying. No one had had false accusation. No one had been accused of being a cult leader. No one had been accused, you know, and slandered and been. T- I mean, I was. Someone passed around a rumor when the internet was first getting going, you know, getting his wheels on, you know, that Eric had left Leslie and divorced her. It's like uh, I'm happily married. Uh, does anyone want to ask me? It's like what a strange thing. And so how am I supposed to, you know, there were weights. False accusation is a very hard thing to walk through. But when you look around the room and everyone's like, yeah, I have no clue what that's like, you feel this alienation. And that's where Jesus says, look, Eric, you're looking to the lowercase l system to be met. I want to satisfy you here. I understand. I know what that's like. Yeah, but you're like in secret. I can't see you. You enter into that secret place and you'll see me with different eyes. And it'll, there'll be a fostering of a deep fellowship. And as you share in the fellowship of my sufferings, I share in yours too, and we bond closer. Mysterious versus mechanical. How much is secret? How much is in the open? This is, it just obviously is going to stir inside of us. Am I supposed to do everything in secret and never do anything publicly? I probably shouldn't even come to church anymore because people might think I'm doing this to impress them, right? Okay, that's, that's an extreme version of it because there is such a thing as a public representation. David was prepared in secret, taking care of sheep, serving Saul, having javelins thrown at him, being overlooked, you know, in even the uh, king anointing ceremony, not even being invited. There's all sorts of things that were happening in this man in secret, but what was he being prepared for? To do something publicly. When he stood up against Goliath, the reason he was so successful is because he was prepared in secret. You see, if he had always had the itch to be seen by everyone, that story plays out completely different. But because he had died to himself, because he was willing to, even though he was anointed king, serve Saul, who hated him and was throwing javelins at him, to serve even in that place of being overlooked. Every other fighting man is invited to the battle in the Valley of Elah against the Philistines, and he isn't? He's probably arguably the best warrior in all of Israel at the time, and he's overlooked. And yet, as he accepted his position, He is being formed in the secret place to transform the world when he enters the public one. So the reason I have mysterious versus mechanical is that comes from a time in my life where I was really struggling with this balance. Okay, if my life is not my own, it's been bought. If I am the house of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is supposed to now rule me and he lives inside of me, what, where do I come in? 
Like, am I still here? Have you ever had those thoughts? Am I still here? Am I just like outside my body watching going, huh, what's God going to do with my body today? And so I had to like land this because I, I pictured this idea of, okay, now my life is Christ. I'm, I've denied myself. So I have no will or volition of my own. So I'm laying in bed in the morning. My eyes pop open. I'm like, oh, I'm awake. Well, God, did you want to get me out of bed or are we going to lay here? Because of course I can't do anything. So God's going to have to like flop me out of bed. And then he's going to stand me up. And I'm like, wow, God, you need to get a little more balance. If you let me take over my life. No, no, I'm not going to take over. You're in charge now. And so he's walking me uh, to the closet. And then I'm looking in the closet. I'm like, all right, that's the one I would pick. And then, of course, he's going to reach for the one shirt, you know, the pink one. I'm like, no, no, not that one. But hey, God's in control of my life, right? And so he's dressing me. And then I walk to the kitchen. There's an apple and a banana. I really feel like a banana. But he's like, hunk onto the apple. I'm like, oh, great. Uh, and so, and he makes my jaws, you know, chew, and then he causes me to digest. Do I have any role in this, or is God superseding all of Eric? And that's, I think, this tension that we have of life in secret life publicly. You see, the way that this is, and this is actually how God answered that question for me, is Oswald Chambers uh, I had been given a Bible, and was, have you ever been given a Bible that you don't really like the Bible? I know it sounds strange, but it's, the version of the Bible wasn't very good, and I didn't really like how it was put together, sort of the, this hip Bible, and I don't like it when people try and make the Bible hip. It's like, it's been uncool ever since it came out, and I'm okay with that. And yet this was, but I opened it, it was the only Bible I could find, and I was in a hurry, and so I opened it, and there was a quote from Oswald Chambers sitting there, and I was just praying, God, I need to land my feet on this. I need to understand what my role is in this. What am I supposed to do? And it said mysterious uh, or mechanical. And basically Oswald Chambers said this. I'm going to paraphrase. He said, there are two sides to the Christian life. There's a mysterious side and there's a mechanical side. The mysterious is God is now in control. He's the one in power and he's the one that does it. And the mechanical is you still have a job to do. No, you still need to do your part. Well, how do you find the balance? If you become all mysterious, you become a fanatic and a weirdo, okay? And if it's just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna lay in bed until God wakes me up. Well, that's not how it functions. And all of us instinctively know that, even though we don't know exactly theologically how it all matches. And then if it's all mechanical, you're a legalist. It's all up to you. You need to do it in your own strength. So he says, Christianity is half mysterious, half mechanical. And it's learning how to find that balance between dependence on the Holy Spirit and obedience in the natural man. You still have a job to do. God says, there's a sword down there. And you're like, well, God, it's not in my hand. He says, there's a sword down there. Pick it up. You see, he's designed my body to be able to bend at the knees. He's designed my, my hand, my grip, to open. He's designed it to squeeze. He's designed my arm and my shoulder and my torso to swing. In other words, I agree with God, even though he supplies everything I need. If I try and fight without that sword, it's not going to be very impacting. But if I allow him to supply the resource and the power, and then I agree with it in movement, obedience, world changed. And so in this, I'm going to just say that it is very reasonable for you to say, isn't there a public side to Christianity? And you would be right. In fact, I think the Bible would agree. Luke 11:33, 33, 
No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. You could say, boy, I'm confused now. And yet it's true. Jesus wants us to shine. He wants us to proclaim. He wants us to go into all the nations and make disciples. He wants us to herald the gospel. And so we're supposed to not hide our light under a bushel, but we're supposed to take that bushel off and shine, even though there are tremendous consequences for that. That doesn't sound like it's in secret. However, where did that light come from? It came from the secret place. In other words, if you have a light, it's because you are fostering your secret life. But what do you do with that light? You let it shine, but not so that you would be seen, but so that the light would be seen. Who is the light of the world? His name is Jesus. You are sharing Jesus, not yourself. And that's the difference between that which functions out of a lowercase l life and that which functions out of an uppercase l life. No trumpet blasts. Matthew 6, 2, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you that you may have glory from men. This is how we itch to function. This is how the Pharisees were functioning and they fell into bad graces with Jesus Christ when he showed up on earth. They knew all the theology, but they weren't secret place dwellers. They rejected Jesus. They're actually one of the key causes for his crucifixion. We don't want to be like this. We don't want to foster the lowercase l. We want to relinquish the lowercase l so that we can foster the, the uppercase l. Rewarded openly. Matthew 6, 2 through 4. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Now, I don't know if you see the, sort of the humor in such a statement. Everything is secret, right? And yet, how is the Father going to reward you for what you're doing in secret? See, if you knew what the word openly translated to, you'd understand why I would have a smile on my face. Phaneros, made apparent, plainly recognized and known, clearly evident to all. When you function out of secret, the Father will reward you openly. So let me, let me see if I can summarize it here. If you want to clearly reveal the power and love of Jesus Christ, openly, clearly evident to all, you know, that's, that's my desire. I'm like, God... Could you, in and through this ministry, in and through my life, impact the world? Lord, the world is going down the toilet. Please intervene. Use me however you, you could. Could you imagine if he said, Eric, I want you to cultivate your secret life? Like, what? Wait, wait, wait a minute. You see, I don't know if you heard me correctly. I'm ready to stand in the gap for huge things. If I'm just writing a little note to someone over here, how is that impacting the huge things? He says, Watch. You take care of the small things in your life. You do the silent things, the secret things that no one sees. And you will recognize that I will reward the other work you do plainly. You see, the greatest medicine for a ministry is actually not to just market it and to make it well known. 
It's to actually cultivate the genuine, real version of Christianity when no one's looking. And when you do that, then your public ministry can prosper. God can leverage that openly and say, this is someone who is doing it right. However, our focus, if we want to change the world, isn't actually just on changing the world. It's on Jesus. And when our focus is on Jesus, we look where he looks, and he's looking around this room. Do you know that even those of us in this room, this is a very, very important test case for us. Jesus says, you will know my disciples by their love for those in this room. It's an interesting translation of it, but that's basically what it's saying. For those in this room, you will know. It's not by Eric's podcast out there that by someone in Timbuktu was impacted by, oh, that, that must be a genuine disciple of Jesus. He impacted someone in Timbuktu. Yeah, but how did he care for those in his immediate circle? Husbands, how do you care for your wife? Mothers and fathers, how do you care for your children? Children, how do you honor your parents? All of us, how do we honor one another? And as we do secret things in here and we live out of the secret place here, I guarantee you the waves and the ripple effect will impact nations. I'm a firm believer in that. The one who sees what is done in the secret place will reward us openly. And so my encouragement for my own life, which is why I started this by saying this is very, very important to me. And there's times when I see it clearly and there's times when I don't. And I get a little distracted with bigger things. It's like, Lord, please use me to impact the government right now. If I need to step in and do something. It's like, you want to impact the government? Write that little note to this person over here. You know that money in your pocket? Give it over here. Like, God, how is that going to impact anything? You're cultivating the secret place, Eric. And when you cultivate that intimate obedience and watchfulness over your soul in agreement with the movement of the Holy Spirit, I can prosper the other things in your life. And I can set you in position to speak when something needs to be spoken. Right now, you focus on the silent things, on the, on the private things, on the secret things, and I will leverage what needs to be done to deal with the bigger things. Haman will, in fact, hang on his own gallows. It's a fact. But each one of us needs to play our role in that process. Cultivate a life in secret. Father, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's something we desire and crave. I pray that each one of us would be brought to that granular level, that simple level of focus on what matters. We want to make a difference. We want to make an impact in this world for you. It's genuine. But Lord, we want to do it your way. And we don't want to overlook the small things and the small people and the small situations and the small steps of obedience in order to get there because we won't. The only way to get there is your way. And the path is lined with small things and secret things. So Lord, I pray that we would be good stewards of those today. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. 
We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.